Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I am your host and coach Tyler Johnson. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is an international speaker, writer, and highly sought after mindset coach. After serving as a minister for 28 years, he now serves players, coaches, and executives from the Seattle Seahawks, Washington Huskies, Idaho Vandals, Stanford, the Seattle Mariners, USA Figure Skating, the Houston Texans, as well as Microsoft, Amazon, and Boeing. Please welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Gary Chupik. Excited to have you. How are you? I'm doing great. Good, good. Well, uh, you can see all the the cool things. Uh, you know, you're being humble about your career, but we're we're here to kind of talk about you and your career and, and teach a little too. So uh love to start with uh what led you into the work that you do now. Um, and then tell us uh, our audience about kind of what it is you you mostly focus your work on. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of interesting. I kind of tripped into it in a way. Um so I was a pastor for 27 years and, uh, and I had a little bit of a burnout. And then I thought, what do I want to do with my life? It was like my midlife crisis in my late forties. And, um, and I thought, man, like it's just been a long time since I've had a lot of fun. And so I thought the next thing I do is just got to be a lot of fun. And so I just through a series of strange events. I ended up meeting uh, Russell Wilson's mental coach, Trevor Moad on a blind date. And All we right. kind of just hit it off. And, um, and then he was my mentor for the next year, year and a half. And finally, um, he just said, well, you know, you know, actually he asked me to work for his company and, uh, Limitless Minds. And I, and so I ended up doing that for a bit and then went out on my own and thought that, that my stuff was unique and different. I try and say things in a unique and different way than everybody else, because I think sometimes with the advent of the internet, you could just kind of hear the same thing over and over and over again. Mm. But sometimes being able to uh, communicate like concepts in just different ways, like for example, like, you know, information's like calories, you know, it's like, what people go up, what, like, that's really an odd way to think about it. But it is, if you have too much information going on in your head, it slows you down and you get slow and lethargic. So I just like to talk in little weird ways like that. And it, yeah. I just find that it, it makes people kind of perk up a little bit. Yeah. Well, we're, uh, we're big fans of uh, Trevor here. I think he was episode 17. So a hundred some episodes ago, we uh, we're fortunate to have him. Uh, yeah. He's a really uh, cool guy. Yeah. So it's been a big, big, inspiration in my life and too. So uh, I did not know that about the connections. That's always great. Um, you know, that I am personally, and I'm kind of pointing to as man, I need to shift some game plans in my life. I know, you know, you talk a lot about the game plan of life. Um, why is the plan so important? You know, even sometimes when we feel like we're maybe we're, we're managing and having the success and, and things are, are going okay. Um, why do I need more planning? You know, why don't, yeah, won't, that, won't that slow me down? I'm already doing all right. Yeah, no, that's a really great question. Yeah. So I think there's a, there's a connection between um, sort of the mental performance piece where we, it's, it's sort of confined by the, the athletic and, and competitive environments versus just the way that we want to live in life. And so I've adopted something in my life called whole life excellence. Mm-hmm. And, and so 
um, from some of my work with the Seattle Seahawks, we learn and we know that your life off the field dramatically affects your performance on the field. And so to be able to manage the different domains of your life actually has a lot to do with your ability to perform well um, when the stakes are high. So this idea of like, well, how do I, how do I be excellent at everything? And at the same time, not overload myself. And so, so I think there's a, there's something to be said for simplicity and, and being able to make things simple is actually quite brilliant. And we see that with Apple uh, products and we see that in different areas of life, but this idea of how do I make things simple for my clients and how do I make things simple for myself so that I, I'm, I'm not weighed down and lethargic, lethargic by all the different things that I'm thinking and all the things that I think I need to do. And, you know, I, I, you know, and the more you read and the more that you're online, the more you realize all the things that you're not doing. Mm-hmm. And so we get that paralysis by analysis. Yeah. We analyze things to death and, and we just don't move and take action on the simple things. So, so this idea of the domain, I call it domain management and whole life excellence. It's like, how do I be excellent at everything? Well, it's kind of like pick one or two at the maximum three things things in each of the different domains of your life that that make you you and and make you feel like you're winning in each of those areas and so it's it's a matter of how do I just discipline myself to do those two or three things in each of those areas and and they're doable they're not it's not too complicated so if something is customized toward them and it's simple you're far more likely to accomplish it and achieve it I love that I mean and talk about um I think a lot of my experience too with, with student athletes, especially sometimes those ones that are, you know, making that jump from high school to college, uh, it, it seems to get that sense of overload. And then, yeah, they're bombarded with messages. Well, if you want to be successful, add this, do this. And yeah, if yeah. you're not doing this, you won't have that. Um, what are some maybe things uh, that can help people kind of shift, shift through their life and, and find some simplicity? Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, I think the the first issue, I think with anything is self-awareness. Like you have to be aware of prioritizing what's the most important things for you to be doing right now. And that's that's pretty crucial. But like that idea of like sequencing the right things at the right time, I think is really, really important. If, for example, if you want to bake a cake, um, you can have all the right ingredients, but if you're not sequencing it properly, then you're not going to get the intended result. And so you can put flour uh, on top of an egg in a pan and put it in the oven for 45 minutes and t- take it out and throw some cocoa and baking powder on top or whatever, however you make the cake. Uh, you, you have all the right ingredients, but you haven't sequenced it properly. And so, and, and you know, I was just at the gym this morning um, chatting with a friend and he was like, you know, and you also have to put the right amount of each of those ingredients mm. in into that. Uh, Balance. Into- yeah. And that balance and that kind of thing. So it's like, it's like, well, sometimes we get overwhelmed by doing too many things. And if we could just isolate those things into the, a few simple things that we could be doing in each of those areas, I think it's so much more beneficial. And so, yeah, there's, there's a million things on the internet. You know, if you type in, you know, with chat GPT and you type in something and it'll give you an endless amount of answers to things, yeah. but in reality, there's a really only like, I like to think in terms of like boulders and pebbles, like the boulders get the big stuff, 
like get the big stuff because they hold the majority of the weight anyway and volume. Yeah. But, you know, if you want to fill it in with a few pebbles, you certainly can. But um, but a lot of what chat GBT and the internet doesn't take into account is some of the weight that you carry in other areas of your life. And so to be able to balance those things and, and make reasonable expectations of yourself can be really crucial. And sometimes you just have to simplify the, mo the, the most important things in your life because some area, other area of your life is taxing you. And so to kind of have a grip on and, and that awareness is really important. The second thing is, is what can you teach yourself? How can you be learning about the specific thing that you're wrestling with? And so I like to, it's a concept guy called reading where you're at, like whatever you're facing in your life and whatever challenges that are, seem to be rather large. Yeah, do homework on those things. And over the course of time, you can like accumulate this amazing library of, of things that you've overcome because you're finding language to describe how you feel. And when you can isolate those topics or those issues in, and learn and be mentored by an author about those things that, you know, and, and they've done all the research and they've done a lot of the work, it's there for us to learn. So that awareness and education are really big things. And then the third thing is, how do I apply this to my own life? And again, unless it's simple, it's just, it's so hard to do. Um, yeah. One of the guys in my life that I spend time with, he's, he's the vice president of global sales with Microsoft. And so we have this like running breakfast that we have together. And, um, and as I was putting together some of my own program, he would be like, Gary, too complicated, Gary, too complicated, Gary, too complicated. I was like, what are you talking about? You're like, Microsoft is amazingly complicated. He goes, yeah, you have an idea that's simple and it's really complicated in the middle, but you got to bring it back down to simple or else people don't engage with it. And so this idea of like keeping things super simple actually helps us grasp the, like, for example, the mental performance concepts that we're teaching. So um, Andy McKay from the Seattle Mariners, he, he always encouraged me to, mm. um, to think about things in terms of 15 second funnels. It's like, yeah, just say things if you can in 15 second funnels, because that's really the the uh, the time allotment that you have with a lot of athletes and a lot of busy people. You have to be able to say it in the 15 second funnel. So I've been working on that area of my life. But um, but that idea of awareness, education, application, I think, is a pretty magical combination when it comes to mental performance. Yeah. So we uh, Andy McKay, well, before he moved on to Seattle, he used to be with uh, the Rockies here. So yeah. I was fortunate to cross paths with him many years ago. He's uh, an amazing person. Early in my career. And yeah, definitely uh, uh, know a couple of his colleagues there, too. So, yeah, one of the things I wanted to ask, um, we could talk about Andy, too, but um, really more about um when it comes to a plan. Right. I, we, sometimes we we realize, OK, maybe something's not working. Um, so we've got to adapt, change take a tangent, like you said, maybe refocus those core domains uh, a little bit. How can we do that sometimes with confidence without feeling too much regression? Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question because it's easy to get discouraged about things that were like you mentioned earlier, like all the things that we're not doing. And, uh, and if we allow that to weigh us down, it's, it's like we're losing the internal battle in our own mind before we even begin. But, um, you know, there's a great book written uh, called The Slight Edge. And have you heard of it before? Heard of it. I've not read I think it. It's, I, think it's, I think it's Jeff Olson is the, is the author. Okay. And what's interesting is um, uh, apparently here in, in the state of Washington, when Chris Peterson was the coach of the Huskies, prolific coach. 
Um, and he was talking about the requirements of joining his staff. And one of the requirements to join the coaching staff is that every coach must read the book, The Slight Edge, which I thought was really interesting. So, so it was man mandatory reading. Yeah, mandatory reading. And so I thought, well, if, if it comes at that highly acclaimed by Chris Peterson, I should probably pick it up. But the whole concept of, of the entire thing is basically is just make those small improvements over time. Like we've heard it, that said, you know, a ton of different ways, 1% better and that kind of thing. But the idea behind it is, is what I call progress theory. As long as you feel like you're making progress in an area, that that's where the magic happens. Like that's really the, the achievement is feeling like you're making progress and, and, and because you are. So, so this idea of making progress I've been talking about for a while and I haven't been able to quantify it until I read a research paper done a couple of years ago on, on why people feel like they're doing well. And the number one answer was people felt like they were moving in the right direction, that there was progress in the right direction. And then they began to do a study on, they did a study on people who just did a tiny little bit of progress versus a lot of progress. And so, so they basically, their determination was that the brain doesn't know the difference between one foot and one mile. All it knows and registers is that it's making progress. That's so I thought to myself, I wonder if I could put this to the test. And so I, I began a journey of, of doing some exercise stuff and doing push-ups, and and all I would do is one more push-up a day. And so I did that during COVID. I did one more push-up every day, and after a while, I didn't I didn't do them all at once. But after a while, I was doing three or four hundred push-ups a day, just because I just decided to do one more every day. And and it's such a ridiculously small amount, but I can tell you that the feeling I had of just making progress was always there. And it didn't matter if I was doing an extra 20 a day or I was doing one a day. All I knew was that I was making progress. So to answer your original question about confidence, you know, I, I mean, there's a lot of people that talk about confidence and everybody's got their certain way of talking about it. I don't think anybody's as right or wrong. I can tell you how I teach it. And that is that the only way for, in my world that I think of, the only way to really build true confidence is to prove it to yourself. Yeah. So, so you have to, really do the work necessary to be able to, um, to, to move forward. It's kind of like that idea of exposure therapy. You know, there's lots of different ways to get over fears, but the number one way to get over fears is to face them, like to engage with them, to interact with that fear. So if yeah. you have a fear of snakes, that, that exposure to snakes is probably the best thing for you. And you realize that it's not that bad, yeah. um, given it's the right kind of snake. So, um, yeah. so this idea of like, just make progress, keep proving things to yourself, I think is the way forward. And I think as you do that and you, and they're doable, like they're not, yeah. they're not too stretchy or lofty of the goals. Think of like rubber bands between your hands. If it's, and then you have a rubber band on every finger. And if you stretch it too high for too long, you can't sustain that kind of stretch. But if you just find that sweet spot where you're just stretching yourself a little bit, you can do that for an incredible length of time. So it's just trying to find out where that, where that elasticity, that comfortable elasticity is. I like that. I like that tying that with the progress i had a mentor years ago said you know the real real motivation comes from progress towards meaningful work mm. and i think that, yeah. you know, that what that meaningful work is to us it could be yeah one of those domains right um yeah. and you know that's that's where your you know motivation is you know kind of he's like but that's where it'll it, it, it aligned with that quite often and it kind of always kind of stuck with me so when you're that came to mind just as it, hearing you talk there um when we 
talk about, uh, you know, unlocking and unleashing, and that was one of your things, what keeps people sometimes locked and leashed instead of being uh, unlocked and unleashed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's that's been a question to answer for, you know, for decades for me and probably for you too. Like you, you're in the same business, right? You're trying to unlock performance and unlock people. So you, you figure some stuff out over time. Um, and yet, and yet there's so much more to learn because internally, everybody's so different. Everyone's motivated so differently. And so to find out why someone is hitting a wall is, is so it's, it's an art, it's not a science or else we would just ask the same questions every time. And, and you get, you know, a response. But um, but it, it's I think it's hard because it's complicated, and if if I can spend enough time with someone, I can generally find out you know what's locking them up and and figure out a remedy for it. Um, but you don't always have time, and um, so like when I do some, I do something called the game plan for life, which is my two day experience. So we we kind of figure out a high performance whole life excellence sort of thing with the client. And it takes me two days to figure that out, like 16 hours, but I don't always have 16 hours to do that. And so learning how to ask great questions is, as you well know, is a real key to helping someone figure, figure stuff on how to unlock them. But generally speaking, um, generally speaking, um, it kind of revolves for me and I could be wrong, but this is just my perception is that generally speaking, it revolves around some type of fear, um, you know, fear of failure. I, I, I notice for guys, it's really interesting for guys it's different than girls. I think guys have such a strong fear, not just of failure, but to give it a little bit more definition, it's a fear of trying really hard and failing Yeah. or trying your best and failing. And, and somehow coming to that existential realization that you might not be as good as you think you are, or maybe you want to be as, you know, as good as you can in your own head. Maybe those are valuable thoughts that you don't want to mess with and that you, you would rather not toy with. But this idea of like trying your hardest and failing is, is sort of a come to Jesus moment where you kind of go, well, maybe, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. But I think it's a valuable thing to try your hardest and fail at something because that's where the real learning occurs. I think a lot of guys that I work with, they're afraid to try their hardest because if they fail, then that'll be sort of the edge of their limit. And um, and so, yeah, that that fear, fear, I think, is real. What do you think about that as you work with people? No, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think definitely kind of when you're talking about I guess being around men and in, in a lot of sports. Um, yeah. You just sometimes, I guess, you know, in, in the context of ath- athletes, you kind of sometimes see that kid like, Hey, just go all in. Like you can kind of sense they're holding back, mm-hmm. um, you know, personally in, in, you know, my interpretation too, I think is um, yeah, I want to go all in and, you know, but I think I have, if you have that mindset that even if you go and fail or you reach that threshold or limit, knowing that you can still go beyond that, um, I think that's a better source of information of touching that limit than going 80% and then usually filling that other void with what a shoulda, couldas and excuses, which is going to undermine your ability to ever reach that threshold mm-hmm. or go beyond it in the next time. And I think when we go all in. Yeah. Like you said, we're going to learn real lessons about ourselves. When we don't go all in, we're going to avoid some of those lessons and it's easy to blame, plan, you know, and complain and, and undermine 
your way really forward. Yeah, in a way, it's kind of emotionally safer, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you don't have to less less risky. And then I think if you put it in the context of you know a younger athlete where they're from you know social media and and things, and there's a lot more around the sports ecosystem that you know it's 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 a different you know there's it's more risky sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The other the other thought that I have about this is I do something called identity based performance. Mm. So um, I think if you cookie cutter, like there are certain there are certain fundamentals of mental performance, regardless of the age, whether you're working with adult athletes or student athletes, there's some fundamentals. It's like math, right? Like there's just yeah. some fundamentals that you're never going to get away from. Um, on the other hand, I find this idea of identity based mental performance to be really fascinating because what's going to work for player A is not going to work for player B. But if I can take into account that, that let's say student athletes ability um, and unique ability in certain areas or part of their personality or how they're wired, if I can take those things into account and I can tap into that piece and we talk about unlocking, I think it's, I think there's an identity piece to that. It's like, how can I, how can I touch that area of that person's life and say, you know, you know, who you are and how you're wired is nothing to be ashamed of. You know, it's actually a gift. It's actually special. And so what if we were to maximize the gifts that you have been given already? It's in your DNA. It's how you're wired. And, and what if we just improved on those instead of setting up, you know, expectations and aspirations and ambitions that are just, they're not wired a certain way to achieve those things. And so I think, um, I think, paying attention to the identity of our, of our students and our athletes, I think are, that's a, it's an interesting angle to take on mental performance because yeah. that's unique to them. And when something is unique to, to somebody, they're more likely to engage in it. And yeah. so to see that kind of improvement, I think you can see improvement rather quickly when you do identity-based mental performance. So a question on that too, I think just in, in, a, in our modern age, right. And I think we grew up, there's a lot of, um, I think sometimes you see in maybe individual Olympic sports, there's a little bit more unique personalities. You know, there's there's identity beyond the athlete that you can see. Um, you know, we could probably brainstorm a lot of athletes that would come to mind, right? And mm-hmm. sometimes more, especially when we're younger in team sports, it's about team, 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 team. Do you, but do the team. And sometimes we we undermine the ability for an athlete to, to own an identity outside of sports. And I think even I, you know, post-college football struggled with some of that post athlete identity, you know, who am I without, without this thing I've had for so long in my life. Um, But yeah, I think helping athletes create an identity outside of sports is one of the best things coaches and assistant coaches and staff members can do right now, Mm -hmm. especially when they're telling them all the time, it's going to come to an end. You better give your all today. Yeah. What's so fascinating about that is that I'm a big believer in archetypes. Mm-hmm. You know, Carl Jung talked a lot about archetypes and, you know, the hero is an archetype. The villain is an archetype. The joker is an archetype. The warrior is an archetype. The priest is an archetype. There's all these different kinds of archetypes that we have. And somehow life after sports, we sometimes think that our archetype leaves us you know, that it's no longer existent. And so part of me is like, wait a minute, like that, that athlete archetype or that, that warrior archetype is like, you know, keep that going. Like, how can you translate that and morph that and evolve that into your life after sports? 
Yeah, I think sometimes you kind of talked about the wiring. I think sometimes I think about it as, you know, you've created, you've built that hardware. You've just got to use a little bit different software in, yeah. in, in your role, but you don't need to change all your hardware, the warrior, you know, you, whatever your, your kind of identity might've been, you know, as a leader on your team. Um, but you probably got to use some other different things to have them, your hardware be fully at capacity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. There's definitely a hardware component and a software component for <laughs> yeah. sure. And I'm not good at that stuff. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Me either. Um, however, it is really interesting to, to think about how much control that we have over the software that we load. I call it mm. fret loading. You know, every day yes. your brain is like a hard drive, right? It defrags at night. It throws away yeah. bad information That's, or the useless information. And then it sort of realigns all the rest of the information in a, in a structural sort of, you know, way that makes sense, right? It's yeah. organized and structured. And so it holds on to that. And so this idea of like, well, man, well, what kind of software are we loading in our brains every day? And in reality, this the really amazing thought is that we get to choose what programs that we load into our mind every single day yeah definitely um yeah yeah we're definitely in control um every one other thing I, i'd love just yeah to you know with your experience uh, as a pastor um you know working with athletes uh, have you found you know some things to out of those experiences of, of service being able to serve athletes maybe in a non-denominational non-denominational whatever kind of thing you want to call it um but help guide them and i think i would imagine so but are there key things that you find from your more spiritual professional early time to what you do now um that is very tightly woven and able to still enrich those even if they might not have that same previous faith experience yeah. Yeah. No, there's a lot there. Um, you know, it was interesting. I had a conversation with uh, a superintendent of a school district in the Seattle area a few years ago. And, um, and this, this superintendent was a prolific superintendent. She won the superintendent of the year in America. And so she was on CNN. Yeah, she was yeah. on, I mean, she, she, she was pretty prolific. And so we're sitting down in her office and we're talking about um, mental health and students and mental performance. And, and I said, well, I said, you know, what, what's the number one problem in the district? And she said, well, she said, it's really easy. It's depression and anxiety, depression, and suicide. Those, that's, those are the three biggies. And I said, is that, um, is that, you know, across all school districts in the, in the region, in the state, over across the country? Because I know you're, you're really well connected. She said, it is the same everywhere. And she said, suicide is, the, is, the, is a really a, a big one. And she said, we, we all work really hard at hiding the suicides because it's, it's a negative sort of, you know, mark on our leadership and, and on, uh, you know, on the school district and that kind of thing. So, and so, you know, I, I said, well, you know, we've had a decade or two of working really hard in this area. And so I would assume that we've spent tens of millions of dollars, even in this school district alone, just on mental health. And she said, tens of millions would be an understatement. And I said, okay, so we've had a decade to work on it. I would think and assume as an outsider that we would be winning this battle. Are we winning the battle? And she said, Gary, we're not even close to winning. Like not. And I said, so how do you plan on playing offense? 
because you're playing defense with these issues. So how do you plan on playing offense? And she goes, that's not even a thought right now. We're just trying to play defense. And I said, so let me get this straight. So you pour tens of millions of dollars into an area of mental health and you're, you're losing by double digit margins, all these games. And, and, but, but you keep throwing the same amount of money trying to fix the problem by playing defense. And she said, we don't have a better alternative. And I was like, wow. Okay. So go ahead. No, and I, I, I can completely undeniably know where she's coming from. I, I think, you know, especially administrators, coaches, and teachers that listen to this podcast can, can definitely relate to, to that story. Um, but I think that's that the end part when they're like, we don't have a, I think there are other things. And I think um, there's, you know, whether it's athletes or all students, uh, my experiences, especially since COVID is give me some people, kids that are either, you know, driven, focused on something, they're yearning for these tools. And, yeah. and they'll they'll sit there, they'll absorb, they'll ask questions, and they're not being given the space to explore those areas. And I think so many times after I think I've been presenting or, or parents, coaches, kids, you know, the comment afterwards, you know, and, and even someone here that this, you know, now this is, is, is we've got, we got an idea here, you know, it was the comment, they should be teaching this in schools. And after so many administrators and teachers and coaches said that to me over the years, I was like, well, don't you run the school? Yeah. Thank you. And, and, and so I'm like, I'm here and like, and so I have a, a, there's a great high school here where we've kind of created a space in class for the next, you know, over winter months for this. And it's like, bring it in. And I was like, you already have time that the kids are sitting there doing something. Um, And so, yeah, I, I, at, the same token, working with enough schools and administrators, I can understand the burdens and overwhelming things of what defense takes yeah, and the, and the energy that it crushes. But um, yeah. I think in every community, there's, there's things that we can try to score a few offensive points. Yeah. Agreed. And that's, that's a huge burgeoning area of opportunity for people like you and I, because to me, mental health is like the training room. And mental performance is like the gym. Yeah. Yep. And you, it's hard to win games if you're spending so much time during the week in the training room, getting bandaged up and iced up and, you know, whatever, but you got to get in the mind gym. You have to get yeah. stronger. And I think as we focus on the mind gym and mental performance, it actually solves a lot of the mental health issue. So so I said to the superintendent, I said, you know, in my world, and, and she kind of knew my background, but in my world, we're body, mind, soul, and spirit. We're four, we're, we're, there are four core parts to us. And you can parse it different ways. But in my world, I think of it body, mind, soul, and spirit. And so I said, so what you're telling me is that you're sending athletes out onto the field with only three limbs, body, mind, and soul, but you're not addressing the spiritual. Like that, that's not even, that maybe it's the missing link. Maybe one of the reasons that we're always playing defense is because we don't address a spiritual issue. And so she said, Gary, I know you're a religious guy. And so, you know, we have limitations on what we can do and what we can talk about. Sure. She goes, how would you do that in a secular context? And I've done a lot of work in chaplaincy. And mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm sort of um, 
it used to having conversations like this. But the way that I've been able to talk about it is, is whether you're a religious person or not, we all ask ourselves this, the same existential question. Why am I here? Yeah. Why am I here? And that's a very individualistic question is why am I here? And, and what makes me unique and what makes me special? And that's why I talk about the identity-based performance, because if I can help someone figure out why they're here and what their purpose is and what their sense of calling is and what their personal philosophy is and what their strategies are, if I can help them figure out those things, they're going to be so much more motivated to improve themselves than if I, we don't have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And so whether you couch it in religious language or not, we still ask ourselves the question is, why am I here? So why don't we help students figure out why they're here? And is, is there are there mechanisms and exercises that we can um, submit that help students do that? And I would unequivocally say 100% yes, that there are ways that we can figure these out. Actually, quite simply, we just need a little bit of time. So that spiritual element to it, is to me is like helping people live out of the overflow when people are so they know themselves they know their role they know their calling they know who they are then they can live out of that overflow and and as we said earlier knowing and managing the different areas of your life in those different domains affects your performance on the field so when things are good at home when things are good in your educational life when things are good financially when things are good it it frees up ram in your mind to be able to concentrate on your craft. And so, yeah, I think the spiritual part is, is crucial. You don't have to be a person of faith to address the question, why am I here? But it, it does help certainly. And you can answer it lots of different ways. It doesn't really matter, but it, it does play a much larger role than I think anyone wants to admit. I love you kind of brought that, that question up because that, yeah, my mind had a lot of thoughts as I, as I listened to you there. Um, and I think, yeah, I kind of talked about like space to explore the mind gym space to explore. I think a lot of times kids are told that if they hear that question at a kind of young age, that they should have that figured out. Mm. And, you know, it's like, you know, the answers to that question will evolve a little bit with you. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same token, I think some kids are like, man, that's a tough answer. I, I, am I supposed to figure that out? I should have figured that out by now. And that becomes a burden where it's kind of like, this balance that we want to say, Hey, be you be authentic. And then you hear like, Oh wait, but, but also figure out this heavy question. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, you know, how do we create safe to explore it, but not boundaries and limitations yeah. that they will, you know, maybe perpetuate or grab onto. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think it's a crucial question. I think it's one of the missing questions in our, in our, attempt to help kids with their mental health and mental performance. Like I was working with a, the second stringer on a college football team, uh, you know, division one. And, you know, he was like, I'm probably not going to see the playing field all year. The, the, the first string guy is great. He's probably NFL bound. And why am I even here? You know, why am I even doing what I'm doing? You know, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm going to get an offer or get drafted by the, in the NFL. And so am I going to waste my last year, you know, and, and play on a team that I don't think I'm going to play. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an injury or two away or whatever, but there's also the young and upcoming, you know, uh, player that gets, you yeah. know, recruited and, you know, he's just, he just doesn't know that if he's going to have a chance and yet helping him find his role helping him find meaning in being there was the question that he needed to answer. 
And so, and he did, and he did, and he figured out, he figured out that his role was different than just being on the field. And he, you know, gladly accepted different responsibilities and roles uh, and roles on the team that, that were unique to him. And so he made it work. Right. And, and he's so glad that he did. So yeah, helping people find out those questions and then deal with those questions, I think might be a missing link in mental performance for a lot of people. I really love where this podcast has gone. Um, as we kind of wrap up, I, I think one thing I like to always ask is uh, two questions as we wind down. One, did a uh, newer question I'd like to ask now is, is there a job you had when you were younger, maybe a job or chore or life experience in your teenage years that sticks out to you that taught you some sort of valuable life lesson? Oh, yeah. It's, you know, I grew up in Saskatchewan, Canada. And so okay. it is cold. I mean, mm -hmm. minus 20, minus 30 was normal. And so, um, you know, and I, I and I do mean both Fahrenheit and Celsius. <laughs> so I, I delivered the newspapers, my whole family, all my brother, I, I have five brothers, four brothers, there's five boys in our family. Okay. And we all sort of passed down the paper out in our in our community. And so it got to me and I, I just was used to, you know, cold weather and plowing through it and doing things that I didn't want to do it was back in the day where you had to go door to door in the evenings and ask for $2 and 25 cents for people to pay for their newspaper for two weeks. And, and so and walking in blizzards and having literally having my eyelashes freeze together. It, that's how cold yeah. it was. You know, and you yeah. have to literally wipe off your eyelashes to see. And so that that taught me a lot of stick to it. You know, kind of you're in it for the long haul. This is a long, this is a long journey. You know, just sort of get used to it. It's going to be hard the entire time. It's going to be cold. It's not going to be pleasant. You're going to find you can find excuses for everything. You know, and and it didn't help. Any you know, finding excuses and complaining never ever ever helped anyone. So yeah, that was that would be my my That's one is just like the delivering the newspaper when I was a kid. Love it. Um, and then as you think about your your career and, and working with uh, athletes and coaches in that space, uh, if you could go back, you know, a little bit to when you started to do it, what, what's something advice you'd give yourself now that you've done it more that you'd go back and give yourself? Hmm. Wow. That is such a good question. Um, yeah. I mean, so many of the lessons you learn are, are just necessary as you progress. Right. So it's, it's really interesting. I would say, um, wow. What would I tell myself? How would I coach myself or what I tell myself? I, I would think, um, that a lot of, a lot of, this industry is a who not how industry and it's not it's not that you have to work with high profile clients or teams all the time i don't think i'm not really talking about that yeah. i'm just talking about sort of the the naked question of who not how so you might have this idea of like how do i be successful but i think a more important question is who do i need to be around to learn what i need to learn and yeah. and to me that who the how is like going up the stairs. The who is taking an elevator. Yeah. And when you're around the right people, they 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 tend to elevate you and elevate your work. And I think I think I would probably ask that question sooner 
or have had, I would have asked that question sooner in my career and think about, okay, this is a who issue. It's not a how issue. Anybody can figure out sort of a strategy or, or how, and you know, there's some critique there and some growth and evolution and feedback that all is necessary. But the who question, that's when you really like, that's when you really elevate your game. And so, you know, sometimes I'll pinch myself when I'm walking on the sidelines of a, of a you know, a professional team or a college team. And I'll just like, I get to do this. Like it's so much fun. But I can always trace it back to a who, not a how. Yeah. It's not because I was really good at something necessarily. It was that I connected with someone who who helped me just sort of um I just learned from. And so yeah, I think I think I would I would ask myself earlier in my career, who do I need to be around? Gary, thank you so much for joining. That was uh fantastic. I love uh, a great conversation. Appreciate uh making the time and sharing so much wisdom. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Tyler, and I um, appreciate you and your question asking. Obviously, you're gifted at that, so it's a lot of fun, and, um, and hopefully we can hook up on something in the future and collaborate. <laughs>